and and I won I won the race. I had the best bus of the day. The guys worked real hard. Guys back at the shop uh, worked hard on it. Carried the inside tire through every corner. Almost died. My kids were there. They were thrilled. They thought it might as well have been a NASCAR race. Oh, we have. <laughs> we're we've been live. We don't even know it. We've been live. Welcome to Money Lab of podcasting. It is no, great. No, you welcome the Money starts. Lab. No, I just said welcome to the Money Lab. No, you welcome. Well, thank you. Very nice of you. Oh yep. man, I'm Parker Clayton. You're Landing Castle. We should probably say that at the beginning. <laughs> Let's jump oh, into God. the PR lap and get this going. Uh, this is our area where we talk about all the great reviews we're getting out there because we need those reviews. We're going to give you all this content for free at Money Lap, and all we ask for in return is to go and rate and review us. Uh, we're up to 41 ratings on Apple Podcasts and a ton more reviews, including, Landon, a team president of the NASCAR Cup Series listens to our podcast, and we know that because he wrote a review. What does that say about this podcast? Uh, it's, uh, it feel, it's, it's awesome. It's honoring. We've got important people listening, trying to you know, just tap into our brains and see what's going on, see what kind of info can come out of it. It also helped that a team president was listening to the podcast last week while I made a wonderful segment talking about team presidents and the insulation um, of their business in this sport. <laughs> so I think he appreciated that comment. Thank you, Mr. Team President, Mr. President, for the review. Thank you for listening. Um, it's, yeah, it's been great. And 41, 41 reviews. The- I mean, we got a, that's a full field yep. now, Parker. That's a full field. We're just we're sending guys. We're home. just over a full field right now. Yeah, we're yeah. sending people home. Let's get to a hundred. That's what I want to do. You have to qualify in to get a to get uh, read during the PR lap during the money lap. <laughs> are you going to let me read any, or you just want to talk about where they stand right now? Let's listen. I would. I want to hear some. All right. So this one, Tarkingtons. Uh, holy shit! It's Landon Castle and PK. I've been a fan of both these drivers for many years, and get to listen to these guys talk about racing every week is a pure treat. Parker Kligerman is articulate, funny, and passionate about motorsport and sincere. He engages Castle and allows Landon to be Landon, a true odd duck in the world of stock car drivers, but a real scrapper who always gets the most out of sometimes, frankly, show car Hall of Fame level junk. <laughs> Both of these guys have that, a future NASCAR like broadcasting game. <laughs> oh, my God. I think this is the beginning of a great series. I had to read this one because the detail is immense. <laughs> That one was a lot of love on Parker and just kind of a pat on the back with a odd duck. Uh, okay, yeah, just let me be me. <laughs> no, Thank you, was, Parker, was, for letting me be me. He, yeah, he was. I think it was wonderful. Uh, speaking of wonderful, this one, Clint Roberts, wonderful show. I've been a fan of these two young men for a while. You will enjoy this show. Listen to it and make all of your friends and family listen to it as well. I agree, even if they don't know anything about motorsports. Love that. Uh, what do we have here? Best overall motorsports podcast, Mama Berg. Great listen each week from two very entertaining NASCAR drivers. Love the Money Lap newsletter. To have this podcast to go along with it is awesome. In just two episodes, it's become my favorite podcast, and I look forward to listening each week. Um, I love that one. Listening. I love that one. Especially shout out to the Money Lap newsletter, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We got one. Um, and Mondays got two now. of them going out this week. It's, it's, like, it's like clockwork. They've just been going out, giving you all the news of all global motorsports. And Mondays with the highlights these days. Appointment oh, that's listening, right. how can by I, the way, how can Jack from Pennsylvania. While I've only listened to a few minutes of the first few podcasts, just being honest, I already knew I'd enjoy this podcast given the personalities of Parker and Landon. Their knowledge on every aspect of the sport, mix of humor, and the occasional sarcastic comment, no, not us, has this on the high-priority podcast to listen list for me. Thanks for doing this, guys. Keep it up. Thanks, That's Jack. Nice. Thanks, for, thanks, Jack from yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, shout out to Pennsylvania, by the way, for being awesome this time of year. Like we're getting into my favorite time of year for Pennsylvania Pocono racing in June, July. Anyways, mm-hmm. that was random. There's nothing like summers in the Jack. Northeast. Nothing oh, like summers. I love it. One more here. Turked 48, best all-around racing podcast, while most of the, quote, mainstream racing media confusingly panders to the lowest common denominator with the same basic boring content over and over. 
Landon and Parker respect the listeners' intelligence and cover topics that I've been waiting to hear more about for years from industry insiders. The Money Lap is a wildly entertaining masterclass for both casual and avid fans hungry for nuanced insight into an exhilarating sport. I'll take that one. I'm going to end it right there. <laughs> I love that. I appreciate that one. That You know, I, I really appreciate that one because I don't, I just feel like we're just talking about racing the way that we always do. And we we dive into this stuff on the phone and talking about race cars. We love racing. I mean, especially talking about Darlington, you know, that, that track is just so unique and the way to drive it. I mean, we did a one-hour podcast last week, Parker, but you and I talked on the phone for how how long preparing for that track and discussing it and even yep. talking on the phone yesterday about the the cup race. So I, I like we did. I appreciate that um that review because that's all we're trying to do here. I did mess up. I we had one more. Uh and to your oh. point about us being real, um as I lose it right here on my app. <laughs> this one says, here we go from Big P twenty four forty eight. Only two episodes in, and this is one of my favorite podcasts. At the end of each episode, I'm already ready for the next one. One of the best things about this podcast is the fact that it's real. Well, I, I know. They are not trying to sugarcoat anything, just real racers talking about real things. Listen now, or you'll be disappointed in yourself. I agree with all these reviews, uh, every single word written by them. And I would like to say, if you want to get read on this podcast, leave us a review, five stars, end up on the PR lap. Tweet. Let's roll. We also are on Google Podcasts now for all those who are asking. So if you need um, to listen over there instead of Apple or Spotify, we're now on Google. And before and we jump in. it's not because we just heard of what Google is. I think it literally <laughs> took two weeks for a podcast to upload to Google. Is that right? I'm not really it, part of the production. It did. I no, literally it did. It did. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. Thank you for okay. putting that out there. Just, just, just want you to know that I'm actually recording this on Google, you know, <laughs> web platform here so well make Anyways. sure you say good things about google uh and all the ai out there if they're listening shout out to google Chat sponsor GPT the pod and and bard ai we're 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 we we agree with you we follow you we support you uh ai overlords <laughs> please don't kill us <laughs> yeah. okay real quick speaking of darling did i just want to take a step back in the pr lap i think this is where we can talk about our racing a little bit I did two races mm-hmm. this past weekend, as you talked about, um, truck in the truck series. Probably the fastest truck I've ever had uh, in my truck racing career. Basically, it was unbelievable how fast we were in the first stage. I had oil dripping out of every facet of the front end of it, uh, smoke pouring through the cockpit. I was trying to diagnose it as we were going like 20 laps into the, into the stage. And we were passing people like they were sitting still. And I think we were going like three or four tenths faster than the leaders uh, by the end of the stage. So it was pretty wild. Um, Unfortunate, but really cool for us to have that speed. We'll bring that truck out. I think Pocono next. So maybe we can go win up there. Uh, And then the Xfinity race, one of those hot, slick uh, Xfinity, you know, Darlington races in the daytime. So much fun. So awesome. But we end up, as we just Broke into the top 10 in stage two. We got hit by the 11 of Daniel Hemrick. He cut down my right rear tire. I then got, was trying to slow up in one and two to get down. Got hit by Anthony Alfredo. Not his fault. Just purely I was having to slow up in the middle of the corner and there's no room there. Um, and from that point on, we had to battle back with damage. We got stage points. And at the end of the race, it looked like we were going to probably get a top 10 out of it with all this damage in the rear and uh there was a caution late a bunch of people had tires we didn't have any tires because of that tire going down and so we finished 13th um and that's kind of how it goes some days in racing they're smooth and sometimes you have weekends like i had this weekend that isn't so smooth that seems like a lot of work for 13th <laughs> you know my wife some- would always my wife like trying to understand and learn racing through the years she would, she would always, uh, you know, we'd, I'd come home in cup, like, well, depending on what team I was driving for, but you know, a 20th place finish. Right. And she didn't know whether to be excited about it or not excited about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's because sometimes you run 20th straight up, like in a cup car, you know, maybe you're driving for a mid-level team or, or something. And, and 20th is, is a really good day. Like there was no attrition. Yep. There was nobody wrecked out. You know, you just you just ran twentieth, and that's an awesome day. And then sometimes you'd run twentieth, but there was a bunch of attrition, and you got beat by cars that are equal to yours, and you really should have run fifteenth. And you're actually disappointed you ran twentieth. 
Um, so two two twentieth place finishes are not equal. The reason I say all that is because it seems like you finished thirteenth, which is kind of a ho hum finish. Mm. I mean, you guys really want to be in the top ten. You're capable of being in the top ten, but you know, to spin and twice and burn a set of tires, not have tires at the end. I mean, that's almost worse than the spins themselves. I mean, the spins is what causes well, that. Well, getting the tire cut down. Well, it was just it got the tire got cut down, and so you yeah. have to replace the tires. Um, but yeah, as you put, and at it, Darlington, like heart, you only have so many sets. Like it's, it's five sets. Tires. So you, yeah, and so you're literally because of that. It's not really the the fact that we had to change tires and pit and then come back from that. It's that you lose a set of tires for the position we were in at the yep. end of the race, and it's like right. That's what hurts you more than anything. Otherwise, you easily run top ten. So we the big one well, that happened there, this, by like, the way. There were the, so the second to last caution where you guys put on your last set of tires. Everybody else's second to last set. How many laps to go was that? I mean, I watched the race, but I'm trying to remember. Um, was like 20? I can't remember exactly. Well, a little more. Than it that. wasn't a lot. Like, yeah, it was like 25 or 22 to go, something like so that. So that's only 20 some or 30. Maybe it was even 30. I I can't remember, but yeah. it wasn't a lot of laps. And you guys only went. 15, 20 laps on those tires before the caution came out. And yep. there was only, oh, but how many, five, six, 10 laps to go yep. on the last yep. caution? Yeah, so just a couple. That's not a lot, but you at Darlington, I mean, you could go five laps on a set of stickers. And, uh, um, and if a caution comes out, if you have tires, you're going to want another set of stickers. I mean, we saw um, Carson Hosevar finish the end of stage two with like seven to go put it you know put sticker tires on at the end of stage two and rode around like he was at talladega out of the pack you know like just <laughs> half throttle trying to just yep. save his tires for seven laps restarted up front and he ran fairly well but they split him when they threw the green like it was <laughs> the difference between five easy laps on your tires even even the the three or four or five caution laps um makes a difference and and the 100%. people on sticker tires, he still couldn't make up for that. No, it's the, the that place eats tires. Um, but that's what I makes think it fun. The, yeah, and I think the um, you you have like where you're trying to just constantly take care of them, and it's every corner is abusing those tires in some respect, and that's how abrasive that place is. So there was a big wreck that happened as well, which was wild in three and four. Uh, I still. Came to a stop basically and got hit in the right rear on that one too, at the back yeah. of the field, which was was wild. Um, but that wreck was huge. We should probably we were going to uh, jump in some of the news and let's just do talk the truck and Xfinity race in terms of at the truck series. Aside from my race, Roger Carruth had kind of a career race. He was in mm -hmm. position late in that race, running down Eckes and and William Byron. Um, and I was standing there in pit road watching this happen. I'm like, he's going to catch them. Like he's rolling. And he almost got there right when the caution came out. And then it became a, a series of late race restarts that, you know, he was not in a great position, but pretty cool run for him. Um, and then the finish of the Xfinity race between John Hunter Nemechek and Larson was pretty wild as well. It seems like the Xfinity race always has some sort of close contact finish at Darlington. It's such for a good reason. series. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why, I, but it does. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've watched back because I know you're, you were in that race. I don't know if you watched back the end of the Xfinity race, but first of all, did John Hunter give that away by sh by just pinching himself in turn one and two so bad, or do you think Larson was going to catch him anyways? I think he was going to catch him no matter what because of the line he was running one and two, which he then carried yeah. in the Cup Series as well. And he, for whatever reason, was making that line work where I tried it, couldn't make it work. I saw Josh Berry try it, could not make it work. But for whatever reason, he was in a league of his own running that line this weekend. Um, and so I think John Hunter was in a tough position because he was going to have that run off of two. And so how do you yep. protect that? And I think he did the best he could. Um, and then that's going to be where you're also going to have to be prepared that, that Larson is going to throw it into three, right? And at that right, point, I had a, you've then got to try and do the crossover, which he did. I, I had actually a couple of people text me right after the race and ask me what I thought of Larson's move down the backstretch because he kind of ran John Hunter. I mean, you know, the highlight reel show what happened in three and four and coming to the line, but 
it started going into turn three where Larson kind of ran him into the fence. I yep. don't know if you saw that, but yep, no, I did. John Hunter, yeah. John Trying Hunter was on the outside draft. of him, and what's that? He was like side drafting. Yeah, there were. I don't. I don't know if like Larson was swinging the car into turn three, but he kind of like pinched him into the fence at the entry to three, mm-hmm. and it slowed them both down. And that's kind of what allowed John Hunter to cross him back over. Well, um, the, the funniest part to me was that Larson actually did that coming back to the field to Joe Graff Jr. <laughs> at one point down the front. So stretch. he was like swinging in and just hit him. <laughs> yeah, like he nailed him like twice down the front stretch, and I was like, "What is he doing there?" So I don't know if he, I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, but. There was something going on. That line, though, in one and two, I mean, you and I talked about it off podcast um, yeah. at, ex- at exhaustion going into their weekend. Um, that was the line. I worked on that line really hard last year in the sim and at the Darlington race. I felt like I got rolling pretty good with it. Um, but it's still the way that Kyle runs it. He gets so much speed. He gets so much momentum off a of turn two. I guess we haven't really been specific enough. The, what what Larson does different and better than anybody else at Darlington, and it started with Denny. I felt like mm-hmm. Denny, Denny sort of perfected this line. This. Yeah, and I don't know why. Like I don't know if Denny hasn't been doing it as much lately. I guess I didn't pay that close attention to him. But watching Larson, he he goes into turn one, and instead of cutting down to the apron like you see most people do he almost goes straight into turn one up the banking and into really the top of where the the rubber groove is so he he kind of always keeps his right side tires at the top of that rubber rubber groove maybe even into the gray and he just he runs the high line in turn one and he doesn't cut across the track and then what, what he's actually doing is it looks like he's backing up the entry to turn one He's really driving in pretty deep, but he's using he's he's I haven't looked at his data from this race, but he's got to be using a lot of brake. Like that's that's how you run that line. You you get a lot of you use a lot of brake right there, slow the car down real real quick, and then you immediately go to part throttle. It's not hard throttle because you you still can't carry wide open throttle all the way off the corner, but you're immediately going to part throttle and you're getting the car up against the wall as quickly as you can to get some aero effect on the car and it's it creates just a heck of a run down the back stretch, um, especially in the Xfinity cars. I think it works in the cup cars, but I don't think it works as well in the cup cars as it does the Xfinity car. Yeah, and I think it's a great description of it. And the, the thing that I struggled with doing it was when I put my right rear in that rubber you're talking about at the top through one and two through that middle portion, I would just consistently almost slide the right rear as I got to that patch and two, and so it was just beating the right rear up, and so I stopped doing it. That's so why I had to be more when, out of the rubber for me. So when I that tells me that you're going too hard, you're you're trying to go too hard too quick with the throttle. Yep. When yep. you do that. Because every time I pushed what well, every time I did that and I got loose before the black patch, um, mm-hmm. I just was being too greedy with the throttle. Mm, interesting. Well, I'm gonna work on yep. that in uh in the sim before we go back there later this year for sure and i'm gonna try and watch more tape and look at his smt to figure that one out because to me having that in your arsenal at least is very important at darlington and i think when we come back there there will i will not be the only one talking about how we need to have that arsenal running that line we're going to talk about the cup race more landon but let's jump into some of the biggest news topics around the world and we can rip through these have discussions on them whatever um as always you can get more of the uh, motorsport news from around the world Tuesdays and Thursdays with our newsletter, The Money Lap. And uh, be sure to subscribe at themoneylap.com. Um, and also Monday mornings, you get the extended highlights through that uh, email as well. So one of the things that will be discussed this week is Lewis Hamilton, seven-time Formula One world champion, is interested in, quote, old-school IndyCar test. So he did say this past Miami GP that he was interested in doing NASCAR at some point, right? He has mm-hmm. also said he watches IndyCar and he's a fan of it. And he does. Which he said that before. That wasn't yes, the first he time said, he said that. No, but he said it's interesting racing, but he did have a quote recently this week about how he's not a big fan of the aero screen in the current IndyCars. And so he'd love to test one that didn't have the aero screen. Um, but he did reiterate that he is uh, committed to Formula One. He is in a contract year but that he feels close and that they're just simply tweaking numbers and details over emails um, and that he will be returning to Formula One and obviously at Mercedes. 
I think the, where I want to go this, I think that's all cool, and I can't wait to see him eventually go do more racing. But mm-hmm. the thing about him is, so at the end of 2021, I said, if he does not win the world championship that year, he will never win an eighth world championship. And I have this whole theory about how you, you can't break past seven for some reason in top-level motorsports. I really think right now with where Red Bull is, where Mercedes is, and the, where the sport is in terms of the, the cost cap, et cetera, I saw this where I felt like if they didn't come out of the bat the fastest car, he would not win an eighth world championship. And unfortunately, although I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan, and I'd love to see it be done. I think it would be so cool. I just want to put it out there publicly on this podcast – he will not win an eighth world championship. <laughs> and he'll probably mean, retire as a Mercedes driver. I isn't there an actual like seven championship curse? It's like a like, it's a whole in, thing. So you could it's obviously Moto um well MotoGP doesn't quite count because they've uh, over a different series, but the you have uh or not I'm just not shouldn't say doesn't count. You have uh Valentino Rossi who's seven he has more than seven, but they were over different series. You know, not all the top class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have and you also Sebastian have Frank Lowe Kimmel's a ten-time ARCA champion. So yes, you have, but see, not top level to me. ARCA, sorry, I love ARCA. Eh, it wasn't top I level. Beg to differ. No, oh, okay, all right. You think it's top level? <laughs> it's pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you have Sebastian Loeb in World Rally, who did I think nine-time world champion. But that's not a circuit-based wheel-to-wheel racing series, so that discounts it. You have John Force in NHRA, of course, who's won more than seven championships. Once again, not wheel or not closed circuit wheel-to-wheel, you know, lap-based racing, so it doesn't really fit. But if you look at NASCAR, Formula One, uh, MotoGP, IndyCar, what else am I missing? Oh, you have Steve Kinzer. Obviously, they always bring that up. World Outlaws. He has like fourteen. So. There is a little bit of a curse. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, we, you could. I, I, we need to get a psychologist, sports psychologist, on the show to talk about this. I think that where it's it's reasonable to think is, just think about how long it takes to win seven championships. You know, I mean, it's, that was be my next not, point. You're not winning them all in a row. I mean, Jimmy won five in a row, right? But to win seven championships, it takes fifteen years to just to do that. You're talking mm-hmm. about being at the top of your, not just the top of your own game, but a top of an l- entire sport for more than a decade and a half. Um, I think you also can look at the age. I believe Lewis won his seventh championship the same exact age that Michael Schumacher won his seventh. Wow. <laughs> this is pretty interesting. I think that's kind of interesting as well. So to your point, he could do it. Maybe. You know, f- f- nothing against Formula One, but Formula One is the place to maybe do it because you go on a hot streak with those cars. I mean, if they yep. if he was driving a Red Bull right now, he would probably be winning the easiest championship of his career. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is true. Also, if Arca was the top level, then uh, I've said this often: I'd be a wealthy man. So, <laughs> <laughs> dang it. Okay. Well, then I concede my uh, my ARCA comment. Um, I do have 10. I think I have like a 51% win record in the, in ARCA races. So I've won, I think, half my starts are just under. Um, moving on of, of the ARCA discussion. The iRacing 24 Hours of Nürburgring recently happened. Max Verstappen finished third, by the way. Um and I just oh, want to bring this up because remember, we got to get the NAS boys back together. I didn't even I know. know this. Yeah. I didn't even know it was happening. I totally didn't, I had no, no idea, but he did do it. Um, we did it one time. You cried at the end. It was great. It was, it was emotional. You know, do you ever, do you, have you ever, I know you have because you're a race car driver that's gone through long seasons and stuff, but you know, you know what post-event depression is, right? Yes. Do you know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah, so, like where you have all the adrenaline and then it's gone. You get this in TV a lot. Trust me. Yeah. When you go, like, it, yeah. so I first experienced that. Well, it wasn't the first time I experienced it, but I first realized what it was when I um, started training for Ironmans and I did my first half Ironman because it takes months and months and months to train and you put so much 
time and effort. You're, you're putting your heart and soul, and you're making so many sacrifices to get up early in the morning and go to the pool. You're running 50 miles a week. You're on your bike for eight hours a week. Um, and you're, you're training over and over and over for months, and then you go do this event, and it's over in five hours. I mean, it's not, you know, it takes days to, if you're traveling to it, and it's overnight and things like that. You get up early in the morning, but it's a five-hour race. When it's over, you're happy, but then it, like, within hours of the race being over, you have this, this, this emotion, like this, this depression set in of just, mm-hmm. it's, you know, what next, right? And you go home from it and you're kind of like, what's next? And I always got that, um, kind of in, in motorsports, um, two big times a year, Daytona, um, just cause Daytona is special, right? But you have this like anticipation for Daytona and you're down there for two weeks and you have all the qualifying races and it's such a big event. It's so important. It just takes so much out of you cause you care so much. And when Daytona's over, you kind of have this, you're just like, I don't know. I always had this like speechless feeling when I leave Daytona or right, like walking from my race car to the, to the motorhome or something. Um, I always had this, just didn't have any words to say. And then, um, obviously, at the end of an entire race season, in Homestead, Phoenix, wherever we were finishing the race season, it was. it's always like when I get out of the race car after the checkered flag, it was always a very solemn walk for me because it's just like, <laughs> what next? <laughs> yep, yep. Anyways, that was it. I, I, don't, I don't even know what sparked that. Oh, oh, because we had that. I, I had that feeling after Nürburgring. Like well, we, we were it sleep was a, deprived. We it just, was, we yeah, we were sleep fifth. deprived. I mean, we're talking about iRace. It's a, it's a 24-hour race on iRacing, but we put, a, we put a ton of work into that. And by the way, be, for that race, I didn't have a road racing license on iRacing. That's right. So I had to, you know, I actually had to train for that race. I'd never even, I'd never even done a lap around Nürburgring in my life in anything. Didn't know the first, I mean, I knew what the track was, but I didn't know the first thing about the place. And you guys were like, Lane, you want to do a 24-hour Nürburgring with us? And I was like, <laughs> so... So I had to tra- I literally had to train for this race. I had to get my license up on iRacing to register for it. I had to learn the racetrack in a couple of days. And then we do this 24-hour race. I didn't even do that. You you guys carried most of the load. I I only ran a couple stints. I, but it was I like I was I like the nine. gentleman driver. I was a silver. <laughs> I think I did like oh well, I think I did like 10 hours or something crazy, which is always my endurance oh races. Gosh. Whenever we do these, you, I Garrett and Byron. I mean, that was such a good. That was hours. such a good. But yeah, we're like we're up all night. We were streaming the whole thing too, which was yep. so cool because at like eight o'clock in the morning, I remember making breakfast and watching the stream. You know, <laughs> and I, whoever was driving was probably you because you ran through the night most of it. And I'm I'm eating breakfast, watching the stream, and there's like still like 250 people watching our our stream in the morning, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's so many people watching this. And yeah, when it was over, it was just like this is it's over we're we're done well you had we crossed the line i got to drive across the line and i remember you being like i think i'm gonna cry and i started laughing so (laughs) hard because i was like this is so epic it was such a cool experience i screwed our race in the middle of the night this one corner i referred to as nemesis where i got caught in some traffic oh my god every every time you went by nemesis i could i could i don't know which corner it was but i could picture it it was back in the woods Uh, on the back side of the one of the four thousand that are around that racetrack uh, but the yep. last part of why we brought this up because of Max Verstappen doing it because there's a funny video of him um, basically getting hit in the face um, by his girlfriend's daughter or ever. And the best part, though, of the whole thing is on a Red Bull fridge beside his simulator, similar to you and your simulator, he has the uh, F1 World Drivers Championship trophy just sitting right there as a subtle flex. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually, um, I also have a trophy, just like Max, yep. Max Verstappen. Um, it's not quite like his trophy, but this trophy on it, I'm sorry, I do want to what show it. What is this? Well, you got to talk about it, too. We'll describe it. Oh, the 2022 Read Bus Race Champion. <laughs> so you guys so raced I won buses. this trophy last year. I won this yeah. trophy last year um, because I was entered into a bus school bus race at Charlotte Motor Speedway against my colleague racing teammates, and and I won I won the race. I had the best bus of the day. The guys worked real hard. Guys back at the shop uh, worked hard on it. Carried the inside tire through every corner. Almost died. My kids were there. They were thrilled. They thought it might as well have been a NASCAR race. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> they still talk and, about uh, for it. The, for the listeners that saw this trophy, you just who didn't get to see this trophy, uh, let me just describe it for a second. You know when you've seen someone win the like national bowling championship when they get that eight foot tall plastic trophy <laughs> with all sorts of colors and gold on it, plastic plated gold. Uh, that's what you just brought up. <laughs> well, you actually didn't even you didn't get the full um, you really didn't get to dissect it completely. This trophy is about five foot five, and mm. um, so it's 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 a pretty tall trophy, and the the design of it is interesting because it looks like it's actually about two trophies that have been bolted together. So the bottom part is like these checkered flags, and then the top part is this gold and black, um, you know, reflective flaking, and they don't pair well with each other at all so i think they took two trophies and put them together to be able to make this really tall trophy but yeah it's a 2022 <laughs> as you would for champion as you would for a school bus race it's perfect yeah let's let's move on um to the exact opposite of school bus racing actually imsa was at laguna seca this uh past weekend and uh, for those that don't know this is the first year of gtp which are these super fast prototypes uh, that align with what's being raced at the Le Mans 24 hours. And it was a big deal um, as the whole sports car world has kind of come together to create, to have the similar cars that race over here in IMSA and also in the World Endurance Championship and at the 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, Cadillac won in a pretty, good, I thought it was a great race uh, between Acura, BMW, Porsche. They all took time at the front, but Cadillac ended up winning. Um, the Porsches, there's a pretty wild video. They won... They got the pole and were really fast at qualifying. Everyone thought they'd run away with it. Turn one, lap one, they head off in their down that downhill braking zone, and both mm -hmm. the Porsches lock up the brakes crazily for like ever in sync. It's wild video, and this is something that these GTP cars have sort of fought, especially the Porsches, in that they're hybrids, so they have regenerative braking and sort of all this different tech that makes the braking sort of a combination of actual brakes and the regen just like a full car and all the teams have been having to work with these you know the settings on these things and they still haven't figured them all out and so it was just another example of like the, what those guys are dealing with those cars are insanely fast the traffic was amazing so it was a really good race go check it out um that's um that's wild i don't <laughs> you know we're so our, sometimes our stuff is so simple it's like well the tires not warmed up enough um <laughs> This is, oh, no. you know, don't give them cool fuel to the fire. I know. <laughs> pretty cool uh, uh, for Ganassi and Cadillac. Is this a good, is that good timing? Like, is this good timing a month away from Le Mans? Like, are, are they peaking, you know, at the right time? Because um, I know that that those endurance racers, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of what they do sometimes throughout a year is, is targeting for that race, right? Yes. Yeah. So Laguna is so different. I don't think it says much, you know. Right. The, the the that track was historically, I believe, an Acura track because Acura was so it's more of the the smooth, light, nimble tracks or or downforce dependent tracks. They were really the ones to beat. Um, but I think what it's showing one thing is that IMSA is very competitive this year in the GTP category in terms of all the mm -hmm. manufacturers have pretty similar speed. And I think it really makes Le Mans this year because you have so many of them going over there. Porsche with Penske's going over there. You have um, the Cadillacs of Ganassi going over there. Um, so it's pretty interesting. And next year, Le Mans, I think all of, the, all of them are going to be there together. So it's going to be even Lamborghinis coming. Um, and I think I'm missing one or two. There's going to be like nine manufacturers in total in uh, GTP. So pretty cool. Uh, you mentioned Le Mans being one month away. That means the Garage 56 car is one month away from its actual race debut, by the way. Are we, are we ready to start making our predictions on it? Mm, There's I, not okay. much info. We, I mean, we don't know. There's not. We don't. I've gotten some info. I mean, Chad Canales has been really cool. Like, whenever I see him and talk to him about it, he's, like, very open about all of it to me. I got mm -hmm. to see the engine being prepared, um, which was pretty cool earlier this year, up close. I probably had a little bit more behind-the-scenes um, mm -hmm. discuss, you know, information on it, but I feel like they've been pretty open. If you ask, they just, they haven't put it all out there. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of content. I'm just thinking like data wise, obviously, and we're not, I wouldn't expect yeah. to get a ton of data, but I'm just saying, where do we, where do you think it stacks up? I mean, does it finish 24 hours? Is it, 
Um, <laughs> I, obviously, that's goal number one. I know they didn't want to yep. be um, too far off, um, but obviously, goal number one just to get this thing to the to the end of the race. I think the weirdest thing is going to be how they sort of the cadence of how they fit in to the traffic. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is I think lap time wise, it's going to be very close to a GT3 car, which is what they've aimed for. They didn't want to be embarrassed in that sense. And they've, they've done the right things to put it there. I think how it achieves that speed is going to be so weirdly different that that's going to be where mm-hmm. their issue comes at night, you know, late more or, you know, middle of the night to morning, you're in GT traffic, a, a prototype comes across you, you've got to break earlier, the GT car doesn't see it or doesn't think about it because mm-hmm. they're, they're in the cadence of every other car being you know, pretty much the same, and then suddenly you come across this car that does it so differently, right? I think that is going to be their issue. That's their, that's the, the, to me, the biggest thing is not reliability. I think they'll be fine there. I think speed-wise, I think they'll be pretty competitive. It's going Just to be... Just not having an error... They're going it just because you're going to be such a different car to everything else that's out there. If you're a GT driver and you're in GT traffic and then you come across prototypes and the prototypes go by you all very similarly and all the GT traffic is the same and then suddenly you come across this random vehicle that's going to break 100 feet earlier or something into a corner, it's going to catch you off guard. And remember, mm-hmm. there's multiple different drivers in every car. That's going to be tough. So we'll see if they... If uh, you know how that plays out for them, do you think that that do you think their driver lineup will you know, they take that into consideration in terms of like when Jimmy's driving it um, versus the guys that have more experience at night? I think you'd have to, right? You have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy does have the experience with the sports car racing he's been doing, so I think that plays in his favor. But you have to, you know, Rocky is a very experienced driver at Le Mans, right? Uh, Jensen Button, I think. He's gonna be, you know, my. I know he's done some sports car racing. He's done some of the Japanese uh, Super GT stuff, which is sort of their endurance racing over there. So I don't know his total history at nighttime, but I'd think you have to mm-hmm. lean on. You're gonna all have, if with three drivers, you're gonna have to all do a pretty equal share. So they'll have. I don't think you can. That's true. You know, favor. Yep. Uh, that track. Uh, that Lamal races at also has sort of a more dedicated circuit called the Bugatti circuit. MotoGP mm-hmm. was there this past weekend, which I think is some of the best racing in the world, by the way. Uh, the I implore you to go check out the highlights because it was Absolute one of the wildest animals. Races. Yeah, and they're insane, but it was the thousandth, one thousandth, well, I can't even say that, one thousand, one thousandth, one thousandth <laughs> MotoGP race. Uh, and they broke an all-time MotoGP attendance record, 278,805 people. Oh, my gosh. Wild. Wild. That's a Um, load. Which is really cool because they they have kind of struggled as of late, uh, similar to what everyone else in the motorsports world has been feeling with the explosion Mm -hmm. of Formula 1. MotoGP has felt like they've lost some enthusiasm, some fan support, so on and so forth. Um, and so that's kind of cool for them to have a pretty banner 1,000th race that, with that many people there. And MotoGP also is an interesting time because, you know, I, I think it's some of the best races in the world because you get these races where you got five or six riders in a line. They're all competing. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing to me that's going on that's so weird Right now, in the last like year or two, two, three years, is aero. So they have wings that have been sprouting on these bikes and winglets and that sort of thing. And oh, yeah. kind of fight against it in the rules and get rid of them. But aero oh, is tough. You got you can't unlearn can't unlearn no. that kind of technology in rotorsports either. Nope. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. <laughs> and they had a fight. Well, let's keep moving on because we got more topics. But I want to hear. I I do want to hear. There was a fight in the. Well, it's a little race. pushing match. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Peko Bagnaia like got topic. taken out. I, we, I just tweeted this morning about a fight from um, out of Speedrome or somewhere. And then we had, you know, Ross and Noah last week and now MotoGP. What's going on? The world is angry right, right now. Everybody's Everyone's just angry. ragey. Yeah. What, what is it? Is it because you know you're going to end up in Instagram reels? Is that what it is? Does everyone want to be in Instagram it, reels? I don't, I don't know what it is. I think the world is ragey. I don't think it's just motorsports. I think we're all on edge. Yeah, well, the the fight 
the MotoGP race was Pecco Bagnaia, and I can't remember who the other rider was, but kind of took each other out. Um, and then they're you know in MotoGP they have those like airbags around the, the riders within their suits, mm -hmm. so when you wreck like this airbag explodes. So then they were trying to like push each other and fight a little bit, and it looked a little <laughs> ridiculous because they're like <laughs> they're like marshmallow oh men trying gosh. to hit each oh, other. God. Oh god! <laughs> so, I don't know oh, if they no. want it out there on Instagram oh, no. reels. <laughs> It's like, like the best way to fight if you just like pull their you pull their like ripcord on their airbag. <laughs> <laughs> so you can everyone can look that oh one up if gosh. they want. Okay, but all right. Next it topic. It looks as ridiculous as it sounds. Trust me. <laughs> um, I did watch the race at Indy. I love I love the uh, Indy GP. I love that racetrack too. I know. I think that's a I think it's a racy little track. Um. You know, watching the indie cars, indie cars, indie car drivers go around that track. Um, some of the the couple of restarts that I saw and their, the way they drive each other into turn one, they don't drive each other much different than NASCAR dri drivers drive each other at that track. <laughs> they just don't have, <laughs> they just don't have as much you know meat to lean on <laughs> than we do. <laughs> but they they find all corners of the car that can touch. They they find a way to make contact. So that's interesting you bring that up because I'm watching that and I'm thinking, you know, they do wreck often in turn one and turn two. If there's going to be the, a crash. The track is designed for chaos, turn one. It's funnel. I mean, like, yeah. It's a funnel. And the exit, there's no room on the exit. Like, there's no, that's the whole point. And so I, I don't even know what two drivers were fighting for the lead at the time, but they, you know, they fired down into turn one and it was like he had two feet of leverage, so he just runs the dude off the road. Like, that's, a, that's the move yep. in turn off of turn one at Indy. You just run the guy off the road. And <laughs> when we go there with the cup cars in a few months um, and the Xfinity cars and the late race restart, even the early race restarts, I don't It doesn't matter. They just, if you have a tiny bit of leverage on the guy to your left in turn one, you just run him off the road. That's the easiest way to clear, clear a pass. Hmm. Sounds similar. Anyways. Something we... Drive, like follow me for more driving advice. <laughs> follow me for more passing advice in IndyCar. Yeah. Uh, Alex yeah. Pillow won that race. He dominated, man. It was actually a really competitive race up until like halfway. And he started, win. yeah, over 15-second win, which is just a complete uh, domination. And I don't even know. What's another word for that? that know, what did he do to the field? Yeah, that's what that's what happened. The shellacking. <laughs> shellacking, that's the one I wanted. <laughs> Complete shellacking the IndyCar field. Last thing on IndyCar, uh, Esteban Ocon, I saw was in an interview with uh, another podcast in the motorsports world, who will not be named. But he basically said that he thought it would be really cool if F1, everyone had the same car, so like a spec series. And how he felt like the whole field would be within two tenths. And I did have to reply to this on Twitter and write, so you mean... IndyCar, like literally, that is IndyCar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. You have F one was just in Miami, and there was a second gap between the first and fifth place qualifiers, and then yep. I don't even know what it was at Indy this weekend, but I think I was looking at the IndyCar field a couple weeks ago, and it was like half a second for twenty cars. <laughs> yeah, easy, easy. Uh, like it could be twenty. Um, that series has got to be the. I mean, even our you know Scotty McLaughlin P eleven winner two weeks ago in barber um i mean this is the most competitive series it's so competitive so crazy that's you we should Love say he watching. does want to be the first guest on the money lap by the way so i know we, we almost <laughs> we're like, we gotta make it happen we're like eh, tipping behind the scenes just a little bit we actually kind of had him on the show um and <laughs> but the whole phone service and technology wasn't working out for us all so we're gonna get him back on we're gonna uh, We're gonna talk. Tech news. We're gonna talk real quick. I, we, I just want to put this out here. It has nothing to do with motorsports, other than we just spent a lot of time on Twitter. But there is a new CEO at Twitter, Linda Yaccarino, by the way, put in place by cool. Elon Musk, who will now go to being just focused on basically the product, and she will take over sort of the business side and sell sales side, mm -hmm. I guess. But our fa one of our favorite apps out there maybe has a brighter future than what it's currently being currently going on on it at the moment. <laughs> maybe at least from a branding and uh, advertiser side, I think she's probably was a smart move um, to help 
with the corporate relationships at Twitter because it seems like those have been lacking mm. in the last twelve months. Um, but yeah, there's yeah. no advertisers, so we're gonna take. You should, uh, actually, if you're if you're a we're... listener, you don't know what Twitter is. Check it out, twitter.com. It's one of my favorite websites. <laughs> um, really I go every it's day. Really new. It's a really cute place. Uh, and also, we we I'm hoping she's not that successful though because I'd like to buy like four thousand money lap ads because no one wants to advertise <laughs> there, and we'll just be the only advertisement on Twitter. <laughs> let's go to the big topic of the weekend in the motorsports world it was the cup race a thrilling race i felt like through and through at darlington Mm -hmm. that came down to some late race restarts as is often happens in the nascar cup series but awesome crowd a classic wore out hot slick stock car race ross chastain kyle larson oh great they line up in some late race restarts and start to basically lean on each other in these restarts from the bottom to the top through turns one and two, which eventually leads to Chastain and Larson collecting each other into the wall. And this opens the door for William Byron to easily win the race afterwards. That move and everything that, you know, that, that move was well precipitated and not just between Larson and Chastain, but I mean, even earlier in the race, Truex's move, I think he it was on a restart. He was from the second row. He wasn't leading. Um, tried to make a low percentage clear on a guy. And yep. that was that was kind of what took him out of contention, right? I think I texted you and just said, unforced error on the 19. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it was. Well, I mean, it was like... Well, I, hold on. So he said, afterwards, he said that he was really tight and that he felt like the toe was knocked out from his instant where he okay hit the one well, car. that'll do it because uh, he did hit the yeah. fence early, uh, um, yeah. shortly before that but there's and that was kind of the the a little bit of the theme of the weekend i saw in both races i i didn't actually watch the truck race um but the xfinity in the cup race how dare you i know i'm sorry i saw i saw a lot of low percentage move attempts you know i mean mm-hmm. sheldon's move into turn three was like there was not a very, very low possibility of that working out for him. Um, and then in the cup race, you know, the 19, I guess if he got tight or had, had uh, alignment issues, that would, that would affect that. But, um, you know, cultivating up to Ross's move at the end was kind of like, he's, he was still four or five feet away from being properly, have, have the proper leverage to complete that move. And well, and that's, I'm saying four or five feet, not from clearing larson but just having enough leverage to really put it in larson's hand or you know leave it up to larson to lift or not but like they still could have wrecked there if larson just wouldn't have lifted but i'm just saying he had five more feet of leverage just to be in position to do that Uh, Mm -hmm. but he knew it he admitted to it one thing i do want to point out and this is my this is minor we don't have to spend a lot of time on it but i thought you know that green flag pit cycle you know leading to the end ross ross had a pretty good handle on the field um, that was a masterful undercut from both <laughs> Bell and uh, and Cliff, the uh, the five team, just to get that that half a second to a second. I don't know the actual drive times on pit road, or or you know maybe they actually lost the, the time in the pit pit stop, but they only pitted one lap before the one did. I mean they drew the one down yep. into pit road, um, and I thought for sure, you know Ross is pretty good getting on the pit road. I know how hard those guys work on all their drive times and everything. I was like, man, one lap. Can Ross hang on to the lead with this? You know, maybe maybe he'll come out right in front on the lead and, and now have one lap fresher tires. But, I mean, they cleared him and leapfrogged him two spots. And that, yep. was, that was kind of, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but it was like that's what put Ross on the defense um, or, or maybe on his heels a little bit, not on the defense because he's on the offense chasing him down at that from that point. But it's like that's kind of what put Ross on his heels from that point forward. Um, and then obviously the late race restarts. Um, I saw the first time I saw was Ross giving Larson some business on a restart, squeezing him really tight. <laughs> I mean, the, the in the booth they were talking about it, like oh he's got him really high, um, and you could tell that. Kyle didn't like it down the back stretch. He was side drafting him really aggressively. Um, and then Kyle returned the favor when they got down to it towards the end there. And, and Kyle started squeezing him, um, kind of noticed 
that Ross was holding pretty strong on the bottom, those late race restarts, which we usually, you know, we, we talk about how, how the top is a preferred groove through one and two at Darlington, but man, if you time it just right and you're aggressive on the guy, you, the bottom can work, you know, and you can, you're mm-hmm. actually in the spot in a good position to squeeze a guy. And I think one of the most important ways to make the bottom work on those restarts and Ross was doing a fantastic job on it at it is not necessarily, you don't have to beat the leader at the start finish line on a restart because you want to be able to side draft the leader at the end of the straightaway because it sucks his momentum back. So you want to be able to side draft the leader at the end of the straightaway and suck his momentum back. And then you can take the shortcut in turn one. And then at that point, you're just hoping that either you clear him, which they never did, <laughs> or they lift, yep. <laughs> which they did that every time until the very end. Um, <laughs> and and I guess when it's a green-white checkered or however many laps to go it was, uh, you can't expect him to lift. So I think the cup car in its design where it's not reliant so much on side force has opened up this opportunity in turns one and two of squeezing that outside car into the wall more mm-hmm. so than what you see in trucks especially and then an xfinity car because we rely so much on side force in those cars this squeeze into the wall scenario that you're seeing in the cup series between what happened initially with ross and larson then larson does it to ross and then vice versa is it's open there because you as the bottom car can get so close into squeezing them and touching them on them and not mm-hmm. be losing the right rear of the race car that you can mm-hmm. do that with confidence and know that even if they hit the wall, you're fine. Like it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And you put them in that compromising position like he did. I think that's why we saw this open up. And to your, what you and I were talking about is the first time it happened. Then I wondered why Larson took the bottom the second time because on new tires there, you want to be on the top because there's less grip on the top mm-hmm. lane. But on new tires, it's because you get the run off the top, it's more equalized. But on old tires, you want to be on the bottom lane on restart because there's more aggregate in the asphalt. There's more grip. Um, mm-hmm. But he took the bottom. And then you were like, yeah, but did you see what they, Ross did to him before? Sure enough, he does the same thing. And that's when yep. I was like, okay, if we get a third restart – this yep. is going to definitely get, it's going to yep. go the other way. And sure enough, Ross is so nope. predictable in doing it because and this is the question though. Was he more, you know, here's where, and I, I told Ross before the Xfinity race, he and I were talking, he saw our video, by the way, from last podcast, our first episode podcast where he said, don't mm-hmm. change. And he, he said he appreciated it, which there's another uh, feather in the cap for the money lap. Uh, NASCAR Cup Series drivers. Drivers, team presidents, all the important people listening to us. Anyone important listens to this podcast. So, most of the American public. Um, And and my thing with that, though, is this this scenario, what happened here, to me, showed two things. One, for the first time, I felt like he was more fixated on getting back at the five than trying to win that race in that moment there. Mm-hmm. And if he needs, if there's anything to feel, you know, sort of, I guess not, not like, you know, remorseful on, but sort of damn would be, wait a second. I had probably the fastest car. I had a chance to win this race, but I let the five seep into my mind of, I got to get even right. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I think was interesting about this. Now race car drivers, race car drivers, we have big egos we don't like to be wronged and we absolutely want to make our get even right. And that's where I just feel like though, this was an opportunity to win a race and a crown a big race. This is, this is a mm-hmm. the win at Darlington is a big deal in NASCAR. Um, and that's one slipped through his fingers because of this. Yeah. I think he just went for the move and was, I, I, I take him for his word on it. I mean, he went for the move. He was fully committed to it. I think he thought that he could, either clear well here's the thing is i think the reason you fully commit to the move the way he did is because you probably he was probably thinking if i don't clear kyle or make him lift i'm not going to be able to pass him on the other side yeah. you're not gonna and win so race. that's why he fully yeah. committed the way he did um i don't think i'm going all the way back to your point about the car i don't agree with you that it's an arrow issue i think it's a tire issue i think the reason we squeeze now the way that we do the reason that the outside is vulnerable in that car different than like in the Xfinity car where the outside is even more of an advantage. I think the reason the outside is vulnerable 
is because the tire with the lower profile sidewall, the tire is on a razor's edge. It's way, um, it's just way edgier. And if you, if something messes up your angle, you know, mid corner, into the corner, off the corner, the recovery is way more difficult, right? And when you're in the outside lane, you have no space too, right? So not only do you have to have the perfect angle, it's a high pressure situation. You got to be back to the gas wide open and you're only six inches from the wall. If anything screws up that angle, you're, you're in trouble. You're either, you're hitting the wall or you're completely bailing out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it's more of a tire thing than an arrow thing for me. The, the arrow thing is, has, has a, definitely plays a role. I was going to say, it has to have a role because um, in a truck you would have spun out. But like when the way the five and the one got together that first time, in a truck, yeah, the, the, the inside the inside truck would have spun out by that point. In an hundred percent, hundred percent, inside and that's, car and would have been so loose it would have been play, you know the inside cars would be such a peril role. at that point. Yeah, plays a, and it plays a major role. So maybe I need to be careful here with what I'm saying. Is I'm just, I, I guess what I'm really trying to say is I don't I don't want to underappreciate the role the tire plays in this new this different tire because it's such an mm-hmm. edgier tire and it requires such a perfect corner shape to optimize and to be you know to run where with the truck the xfinity car the tires just forgiving it's got this tall sidewall it's got a lot of flex to it so the car can slide a lot more um and you can you know you can maneuver around a little bit more with it where the the cup car it's like stuck you can see it on tv right the difference is yep. on you the, the fans i mean if, if you haven't noticed it before with it and you're listening to me say it for the first time watch a race you know watch the xfinity race on saturday and then watch the cup race and tell me you don't see a difference in just the cars sliding around and moving around the cup cars are are you know way more definitive about their line they have to be committed to their line they're tricky yep. cars to drive there's not as variables as many variables it doesn't move around as much it's not as like uh What's the term? You know, it's not moving around, I guess, as much. But I, I yep. have another term I'm forgetting. I'm not doing well with what words else you today. Got? <laughs> I'm, not doing, <laughs> I'm not doing the best of words. Well, I just think this this is an interesting thing right now. In obviously, and I'm almost tired at this point of like Ross, you know, aggression level and all that. But I think to me, what's more interesting is where else do we see? the opportunity like we saw there where you're choosing your restart position, not to have the best run out of the corner always. Right. Mm -hmm. But in where you can put your competitor in a compromising position because we, and because you, you watch these restarts at a lot of places. Think about Vegas where they, when this car last year was first there and we've seen Mm -hmm. it a couple times, you run side by side for the lead for, five laps after a restart, right? Right, Because there's, right. the arrow effects of this car are so different than what we've seen in the past. So where do we start seeing the thought process change in the, instead of the launch and what creates the best runoff of the corner and arrow positioning? And now it's like, okay, how can I posi- where do I need to be on the restart to position myself to actually put my competitor in a more compromising position where they have to make a decision whether to, to stick with that yeah. or crash? And I think this this yeah, is going to be mean, a running theme with this car. We're already seeing it. I mean, that's yep. I think, in, and I think Darlington is an extreme case, right? Because because of how narrow turn one and two is, you know, the how polarizingly different those two lanes are, where the the outside lane is the preferred lane for speed, but it's also the most vulnerable lane for leverage, right? Yeah. So you know, the, that that's almost just creates this environment where the driver on the inside has to throw a haymaker, you know, to have a chance because the only leverage that the guy on the inside has is is that ability just to pinch the outside guy into the wall. Otherwise, if you can't mm-hmm. pull it off, you're you're going to lose that run. You're going to lose the momentum to the, you're going to lose the race to the guy on the outside. And in three and four, you're going to lose the race to him on the outside in three and four too. So yep. um, you just don't even have the leverage over there like you do in one and two when you're on the bottom. So mm-hmm. it's pretty polarizing yep. track in terms of that conversation. Um, but we see it a lot. You, you'll see it more often. And I mean, last year, Last year when Corey LaJoy, we've been talking about Corey LaJoy a lot on the pod, but last year when Corey LaJoy <laughs> was you know, nearing his first win in Atlanta, it took 
just a little bit of a, you know, he, was, he went to the outside of Chase Elliott, and Chase, all he had to do was just take away his line, and it didn't just hurt Corey's momentum, it wrecked him. Right? It <laughs> yep. took him out of the race. Yep. He couldn't even, you know, it's not like he just slid out and get, lost a couple car lengths. It, 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 it just put him in the fence. So, um, the, for some reason, that car on the outside is pretty vulnerable right now. And the Cup Series is a full contact sport, and it will continue Definitely to be. And it's is. only going to get it's only going to get tougher. That series is, uh, in my opinion, the hardest in the world. Guess what? This coming weekend, something cool. When we talk about classic stock car racing, North Wilkesboro for the NASCAR Cup Series All Star Race. Plus, the trucks are there. I'm going to be racing in that. I'm so pumped. But I can assure you, and I I, I say this in full confidence. Aside from the dirt race at Bristol, this is the lowest grip surface the NASCAR ser- a NASCAR series will race that in ever because it is unbelievable how little grip. I so I got to do just a couple laps in a sim, um, simulating what current North Wilkesboro is, and let's just say I couldn't even believe it. And my crew chief Chris Carey has been calling me for a month, being like, "Hey, we need to be focused on." You just need to be focused on the lowest grip you've ever raced on, all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, how bad could it be? Like, we raced Darlington, we raced Richmond, whatever. Oh, my goodness. There's nothing like this. <laughs> this is going to be insane. Like, I, I it can't, is, it's I can't believe be interesting. it. Uh, so, first of all, it's funny that you mentioned Bristol Dirt because I actually texted a crew chief today, and I said, what is the, the traction rating at this track? And his response was <laughs> Bristol Dirt. So I don't wow. know if that's true or not. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> I think you don't. You get a report from NASCAR. Are they going to do? Uh, are they going to do they a grip rating? The friction so, test or whatever. A friction I test. That's what, that's what I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, I texted him. I said, "What's the friction look like at at North Wilkesboro?" And he said, "Bristol dirt." So I am curious <laughs> if how low it is. Maybe it's probably still not quite Bristol dirt, but it may not. It may not be far off. Well, um, here's the thing. I think it's because what they're simulating. I haven't seen it. I'm gonna maybe go up there this week for some of the late model races. I tried to race in some of the late model races, um, and the ride ahead fell through, unfortunately. But the um, the thing to me is like if it's as old as they say, then that means like the asphalt is basically coming apart and must be almost like gravel. Like there's an air mm-hmm. of like, you know, like, like if it being in, in little rocks. So like you, it could be like dirt in that sense that you're like in gravel yeah. basically, well, just, you know, no contact. There's no, so one of the most interesting thing when they give us these friction tests is they actually will do a scan of the track surface too. So they don't just test the friction, but sometimes you'll see a scan of the track surface and you'll see these smoother tracks that have a lot of grip. They just they're they look perfectly smooth, you know. Like it, the the scan will be something like this, and it's like a horizontal view of of the surface. And and then you'll see what the surface looks like at a place like Darlington, um, and and it's just rocky, you know. And and yep. you can tell aggregate. just by yep. looking at the surf the two comparing two different sur- surfaces a Kansas versus a Darlington or a Texas or something versus Darlington um the rocky one just there's no contact patch there's nothing for the tire to grip to it's it's on it's constantly on just smooth polished pointy rocks um so i drove a this was a long time ago but um more than 10 years ago but i drove a cup car i tested for the 48 team um at North Wilkesboro 10 years ago and I, even on sticker tires, I don't think I went full throttle down the straightaway. Yep, that's what I've heard. You don't even so, so Dale Earnhardt won a race there. He was uh, Andy Petrie was telling my crew chief Chris Carrier this that they won a race there, and Dale's comment after because Andy had told him like, "Hey, don't ever go full throttle on this thing. Trust me on this." And Dale's comment after the race was something like, I've never passed so many cars in my life at partial throttle. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. like you, there is no grip. And you're in a corner, and this, this place, this is going to be wild. I did see, I thought I saw it, I've got to go find it. They had an onboard, Reverend, where it looked like they paved the apron, though. Which, to me, would then be like, oh my we're going to run Easter on the egg. apron. Yeah, we're going to run on the apron. <laughs> if so, there's fresh pavement anywhere, you will f- find it. You will have to uh, run so, on it. You'll have to. Yeah, you're gonna ha- you'll have wild. to be there. That yeah. will be wild. Yeah. If, there's a left, if there's a grip strip on the bottom... Then they might uh, SMI might get the old one lane Bristol that they have always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so my thought is in in all these races to win this coming weekend at North Wilkesboro, you will have found something 
others haven't. Or you yeah, will have at least there's found no it earlier. Yeah, and it, so it's going to be something like that. Oh, I found this, this grip area, or I found this ability to do this, or get my car per- Like, There's going to be something that we're all talking about next week here on this podcast um, that that person found. I hope it's me, so I'm going to take you up on your uh, notes from when you tested there, please. But um, I, think, I think that's really what I've thought about this. This is the type of race where someone's going to find that little thing, that little line, that little area, and they're going to use that to their advantage, and that's kind of they're going to win. Well, good luck. Thanks, buddy. Well, I'm, that's a pod. I'm to, I will actually, I will watch your truck race this week. I can't believe oh, I didn't watch it last it. week. But. Thanks. Uh, well, you know, I didn't put on much of a show, so didn't <laughs> didn't get the opportunity. <laughs> Not like this one. This show is awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, definitely rate, review, subscribe, all those things. And I think we will uh, we'll have some entertaining races this weekend. All right. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.